First summary, rules for life, which is uh, going through Proverbs. Number one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Number two, God rewards those who keep his commands. Three, keep your heart, don't follow it. And that's the kind of foundational things that we learned. And then we are learned first, drink at home, which we remember is to avoid the ruin of sexual immorality by clinging to Christ in fidelity and your spouse, if you have one, in love. And last week we learned, get up early, which is to be diligent in everything that you are called to do. Make sure that you strive to go the right way according to Christ's power. And now rule six, and this is my favorite one perhaps, only eat the best food. <laughs> only eat the best food. Now this is good diet advice. Because, you know, eat the food that you really enjoy instead of crap. But it's even better life advice. Because if you're going to live your best life according to how God calls us to live, you don't do it by avoiding pleasurable things. You don't do it by avoiding the best things. You do it by enjoying the most pleasurable things and turning away from lesser pleasures. And this is so, so key because it's what separates all of what we're going through in Proverbs and, and so much progress, it's like practical advice. We got to talk about last week, which was get up early. <laughs> Don't shipwreck your marriage. Like good practical advice. But we aren't, we aren't promoting some form of, of stoicism. Stoicism, ancient philosophy, making a little bit of a comeback if you're into reading self-help books. Sorry if you do. It has much of the moral virtue of Christianity, but without all of the dogma in church. So you can be a stoic and keep with all the modern values that our current world holds dear. Stoicism pr prioritizes self-control, discipline, mind over matter to overcome our fears, our lusts, our hedonism, so we can do the right thing. Like, get up early drink at home. Just do it. Now, that message is something. And really, like, the message of any moralistic teacher teaching in the world is do better. It fills the self-help book section of the bookstore. If only you could, like, arrange your life according to these eight principles, everything would be better. Just, just go harder at life. But it's not the message of Christianity in general. It's not the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you can enjoy all God is and all God has for you in the future. And it's not even the book of Proverbs. Even the book of Proverbs, which is so practical in its emphasis. Because 
God saves us, God sanctifies us, God sanctifies us, God will glorify us. We walk in all of the good works He has prepared. The wise life is self-disciplined, but it's self-disciplined in a very specific way. It's self-disciplined in that it follows the deepest and best joys of life, turning away from the sugary snacks of Satan. As the often quoted but very true statement that C.S. Lewis said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's like someone who would be content with seeing the hills of Fort Capel because they can't imagine the glory of the Rockies, which I hope to see, God willing. God offers us in the wise life good and a pleasurable way to walk. He offers us the mountains instead of the slight valley rise. He offers us a vacation at the beach instead of a video on our phone. I always think about how like smaller pleasures has become when I, when I see someone watching a movie on their like four by six phone, like their little tiny phone. Could you imagine who saw like Lord of the Rings in the theater? Like, yeah. Like you said, like, like the grand thing. Can you imagine a kid today? Like going, I'm going to like watch Peter Jackson trilogy on my phone. Like that's sacrilege, but that's, that's what we are. That's what we are when we walk according to, we walk according to the so-called pleasures of the world. Instead of finding the deepest and greatest joys that God offers us in Christ. Now enough of this, let's turn to our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 9. I hope everybody has their Bible. Two, two cool people have Bibles. Uh, if you don't, if you don't, there are some Bibles under the seat. Uh, you could also use your phone, which is not as cool, but, but practical. Definitely not as cool. Now in Proverbs chapter 9, we have this comparison between the woman folly and the lady wisdom. And folly is pictured as, as this adulterous, seductive woman. And, and as you read it, you can almost hear a modern critic saying, well, this is just another example of how misogynistic the Bible is portraying folly as feminine. But, but, but just wait, <laughs> like, like wisdom is also going to be female in this picture. And, and this is actually something we probably, like the feminine nature of this, we probably shouldn't read too much into it. Because if you look at any language that has gendered nouns, now English doesn't, but uh, if anybody knows French or Spanish or, or other languages that have have gendered nouns, so a noun will be a feminine noun or a masculine noun. 
And Greek is like that. Hebrew is like that too, but Greek is like that. And Hebrew is like, except I'm in the Old Testament. Hebrew is like that. And whenever they use poetic imagery, they use it according to the gender of the noun. Now, the gender of the noun doesn't make it intrinsically female or masculine, like some things are just really random. But, but so the reason why folly and wisdom here are feminine isn't some like intrinsic nature of like what women are like. We should read it like that. It just has to do with the language. And so we can look at these big pictures and apply them without thinking specifically of the gender. Now, the gender does come into a little bit of play because this is written to, Solomon's writing to my son, and so a son should avoid adulterous woman, but just as much women should avoid unscrupulous men. All right, getting that aside, most importantly, we can see that both of these women offer meals. They offer meals, and we'll see what this looks like. So first, we're gonna look at the Lady Folly, which goes down to Proverbs Chapter 9, verse 13. The lady folly, the woman folly. Not quite ladylike. The woman folly is loud. She is uh, seductive. Most translations, I think it's better, simple. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. You could... Uh, uh, Render that like she sits on a throne in the highest place of town. She is loud, foolish, and knows nothing. But despite knowing nothing, she, she exalts herself over everything. And this is really like the situation in the world. Often foolish things get lifted up. If anyone has ever watched an MTV show, you know that. From the VLTs that drain people's wealth to every product and every ad, everything in the world opposed to God offers itself as a solution, a source of joy and pleasure. Also in this passage, we remember, and, and this passage at the end of chapter 9 sort of serves as a conclusion to the first, there's like a big section of Proverbs that, that kind of ends in chapter 10. And... We're reminded again, Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One insight. So we're reminded of the first lesson again. And it, and it reminds us that foolishness is not just the really dumb things in the world, but anything that isn't rooted on the foundation of the knowledge of God, the foundation of the fear of the Lord, even the so-called wise halls of academia when they reject god they become foolish and maybe they can fly you to the moon but they can't get you as close as heaven now against this this foolishness we have the lady wisdom chapter 9 verse 1 wisdom has built her house she has hewn her seven pillars so we have the folly just sort of sits down on this throne being like, I'm over here. But wisdom actually does the work of building the house, making seven pillars, which, which might refer to kind of the wisdom of the first 
uh, eight chapters of the book of Proverbs. It's built all of this house for people to live in, of this knowledge to grow. Wisdom is slow to brag and quick to build. Its work takes time. It's for the patient. And as we've learned in Proverbs, the blessing of discipline, the rejection of the quick fix of the latest Facebook reel or TikTok, and all the fast pleasures of the world. But wisdom isn't just about discipline. It's not just like hard work, like come here and just suffer for the gospel. But it's a rejection of the terrible, cheap pleasures of the world and reveals in its place deeper, better, and eternal pleasures in God. Let's keep reading. Back to folly. Verse 15. Folly calls to those who pass by, those who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And it's like, how, how about that call? It's like, hey, if you're dumb, come here. But then again, I did grow up in the 90s, and I did see a couple of teen movies then, and they kind of promote themselves. Yeah, this is like the dumbest comedy ever. Come laugh. And people bought them. Folly calls out, not merely to the fools, but to those going straight on their way. She's a billboard that calls out from the side of the highway. She's a notification on your phone telling you about the latest new thing that's going on. Didn't I tell you, turn off the notification. If you have a phone, have apps, turn off all those notifications. Don't let it, don't let Mark Zuckerberg interrupt on anything in your life. Like you can go to Facebook, but don't have it like pop up, be like, oh, there's some new thing. Don't do that. Folly is a thousand voices all crying out for my attention when there's only one thing that I need, and that is to be still and know that he is God. Every vice that seeks to dull our mind from the whiskey bottle to the dime store novel, many turn into the house of folly and many never escape. It's like the, the classic song by the animals, with the great bass line. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. And it's been the ruin of many a poor boy. And God, I know I'm one. Yeah, it's something like that. <laughs> Folly of the world calls out just as seductively as that. But interestingly, you know, we, you know, we hear like the loud calling out. Wisdom calls out too. But many times people don't listen. Proverbs 3, or Proverbs chapter 9, verse 3. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Notice it's like the same call, exactly. Like it, it sounds similar, hey, you want to grow. But instead of turning 
the folly calling out simple people. Turn in here and indulge in your simpleness. Indulge in all those things you naturally want to do. Wisdom calls out and says, come in here and maybe do some work. But do work that's good that you're going to change from your simple-mindedness and become wise. It's interesting, in one of the, the Greek translations of the Old Testament, Septuagint, they translate young women they're calling out as, as young men because they don't want, like, the picture of young women going to the streets seems maybe a little fragile to them. But again, it's the feminine, like, picture going on. Wisdom calls out. From a thousand pulpits and pamphlets, pamphlets, God's word in a Gideon track. We're a best friend who speaks God's truth in a quiet moment. Now, wisdom and folly call out. Which one will you listen to? Wisdom and folly both offer a meal. And this is so, so, so beautiful. They offer this meal. But only wisdom has done preparations. It's a well-prepared feast instead of fast food. Proverbs 9, verse 2. She has slaughtered her beasts. Notice wisdom is not a vegetarian. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> she has mixed her wine. Also not a teetotaler, but I don't know. I'm not going to get into trouble today. I'm going on vacation. I should just drop a bomb. She's mixed her wine and it's good. She has also set her table. Meat, wine, all of the best things at wisdom's table. Wisdom says, Come, eat my bread. And drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. And walk in the way of insight. Then folly. Folly also offers a meal. You look down to verse 16. Folly says to the person going by. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And here it is, folly, offering sinful goods, something novel, something maybe naughty or forbidden, likely some sexual overtones here, but it's far broader than that. It's the rush of adrenaline from the stolen pair. It's the easy thrill, the cheap fix. And this is life apart from God. It has pleasure Yes, but folly has all of the wit of Madison Avenue. It's like here, stolen water just for you. It's a limited quantity, better take it while you can. And this is just any bread, this is secret bread. It's not just for anyone. I have a special deal just for you. Don't tell anyone, it's a secret. But the funny thing is, despite how it's dressed up and sold, this is bread and water in a hut because she hasn't prepared anything. And this is what 
life apart from God is. It's quick, it's easy, it's fast food. I apologize, I'm gonna rag on Burger King for just a second. Like you can pull into Burger King and you can get a whole meal for $6 with like two sandwich things. But they really should make you pay to eat that junk. And if you're going to live your life just doing what is easy and pleasurable, following with whatever the world is dishing out in the moment, you will end up both with terrible pleasures themselves, bread and water in a hut, and a stomachache later. And remember verse 18, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now, in comparison to this, wisdom slaughtered her beast, mixed her wine, set her table. Wisdom has steak and wine. Wisdom has a well-prepared feast for all who enter. Maybe it seems harder. It's not the secret bread and the stolen water. Maybe there is some discipline. But it's actually good. And it's actually easier than the foolish way. Oh, so many times in my life I've like tried to take shortcuts, not listening to my parents' advice and like it's like it's like, ah, oh, I'm just not gonna bother cleaning my oh, this is the, the classic one. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother with all that, you know, clothes folding stuff. I'm just gonna like throw all my stuff in, in, in this big sack. And it's it's like it's like taking the shortcut and then you know, I'm getting ready. I was like, I have no idea where anything is because I haven't put it back where it should go. The way of the world is actually a, the hard way. It's like the life if you eat nothing but sugar and sweets. Sure, it tastes good, but eventually it's sickening. And by the way, diabetes and heart disease. Life is hard, but the way of God is actually good. It is sweet and it's actually filling. And more than this, that the hard, disciplined life has rewards. But it all, like, all of this, like wisdom's feast, prefigures the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. We look at Matthew 22, Jesus himself speaking. The king of heaven may be, the kingdom of heaven may be prepared, compared, to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent out servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The Christian life is not turning away from pleasure, but receiving the deepest pleasures. It's going to the best banquet. Come to Christ. He has done all of the work, everything necessary for salvation. And in coming, there is peace and joy, even though the way may look hard, the way may seem narrow, it's actually good. Oh, I don't know, you've probably done a lot of hard, so, like, we once, went canoeing with like our youth group at our old church and we canoed up a river system 
and we canoe, we paddled upstream for like a day and a half. We camped, and it was cold, and we just about froze. And we like went down, and it was raining, and there were bugs. And you know what everybody said? It's like the greatest time we ever had. You know, like, not everything hard is bad. Some of the best things are hard but good. And the Christian life is like that. It's hard but good. The Spirit and the Bride say, it's Revelation 22, 17, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take water of life without price. Why turn and drink from the world when there are joys in the way of Christ today and forever? And ultimately, the feast is Christ himself. To know the joys of Christ in us. Now... This brings like right here to kind of a point of conflict because last week I preached kind of on, on discipline, hard work. Literally it was called get up early. And this week it's come to the feast and eat. Find your deepest pleasure. Eat only the best food. Now this tension does occur in the New Testament. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Strive to enter through the narrow door. And now how do this go together? How can be the way of Christ be hard and can it be easy at the same time? Well, the first is simply that the way of salvation has to be easy because if it were anything hard and required anything of me, I would have no hope of ever being saved. Secondly, it's only hard because we make it hard by not trusting. Faith is simply resting on the promises of God. It's walking into the buffet and sitting down. And we have the opportunity every day to meet with God in prayer and in his word and trusting that he's going to work everything out. And so many times, we just, we just don't. Now, there is a, a discipline but it's discipline not to do, but a discipline to receive, to walk in and say, God, what do you have for me today in your word, in your people, in your fellowship? And in walking in and receiving, we are filled at the banquet. And by the way, he offers eternal life in the future. And finally, we recognize that it's hard and it's easy because even when it's hard, we recognize God is the one working in us to do the hard things. We are saved by this grace, and it's a grace that gives us everything that we need. Uh, one of my favorite songs of all time, Awake My Soul, it has this line that I always think about when I think about salvation, and it's, this grace gives me fear this grace draws me near, and all that it asks, it provides. And so this is the treasure of the gospel. When you come to wisdom, guess what? It teaches you how to walk in this, and by the Holy Spirit, God gives us strength to step through some of the hardest things we may face, finding even deeper joy. And so many times people give this testimony. It's like, man, this was like the hardest moment of my life. But even in this, everything fell apart. That is where God met me.
God is often closest in the wilderness and the darkness. It's that way with Israel, and it's that way with us. Now, sin and Satan are lying to you every day. Trying to commit to you that God is stingy, that God is keeping you from some good thing that would make your life easy or pleasurable. I thought, yeah, that fruit looks awful good. God didn't want you to eat any of this fruit, you realize. But it's not true. God doesn't say just like measure up. God doesn't give us a bar to climb over, but he calls us to a feast to enjoy all of the pleasures every day. Even the things that look hard are a feast. And we just need to stop getting distracted by the cheap candy of the world. Every day is just like this. It's like at four o'clock. Four o'clock in the afternoon and you're starting to get a little bit hungry. Anyone else get hungry around four o'clock sometimes? And, and, and at that time, you're about to make your favorite meal. It's going to take some time and a little bit of work. But what, what kind of work is making your favorite meal? Like it's the good kind of work. For me, it's like I'm going to be making pizza. New York style pizza. I've, 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 been, I've been fermenting the dough for three days. I'm like cooking down the sauce for a couple of hours. Feel the smell in the air. I'm about to put like, you know, that cheese on. Some new Bothwell mozzarella. Bam! Hit it with some of that fresh herbs from my gar- garden right now. Some basil and, and thyme and just like... But just as I'm going to prepare this, I'm a little bit hungry. And I look over in the cupboard, and there's a bag of potato chips. <laughs> bag of potato chips. And, and one part of me is just like, man, those potato chips would be good to eat right now. You don't have to do any of this work. You could just open the bag. And maybe you could just eat one. Not, get, not, not eating one. If I open that thing, I'm probably eating the whole bag. And then you know what? The pizza's not going to be good anymore. And it's like so many things in our life are like this. Where it's just like, we're offered this like cheap pleasure, but God offers us just to step through that door and enjoy the banquet of everything he has to offer. Turn away from the cheap pleasures of this world and enjoy the best pleasures of God. Looking forward to even more in the future. God is for you. He died on the cross for your sins. He is giving you the best way to live right now according to his word, according to all wisdom. And God will be with you even more. And what do we have to wait us in heaven? It says, what is it? Come to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Where we'll enjoy God forever. The best wine. The best meat. Taste and see the Lord is good every day. Come to the banquet. Receive Christ. Only eat the best food. Put away the potato chips.